Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Paul Kelly and as always I'm joined by Oshin Collins. Hey Park, how are you doing? We're back to the Pro 14. Great Pro 14 and really good games this weekend. Absolutely and don't forget if you want to hear what we think about the Pro 14, check us out on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, SoundCloud, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher. Basically if it's on a podcast app, we're on it. We're everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. That's right. And this week we're talking round seven of the Pro 14. But first, let's take a look at some news from the rugby world this week. And last week, the IRFU released their strategic plan for rugby in Ireland going forward. Yeah, and nice to see kind of all-encompassing looks at men's and women's game, 15s and 7s. I guess on the men's side, some really good ambitions, kind of setting out the stall, you know, a couple of titles, grand slams. They're looking at the right stuff. Realistic, but ambitious. Absolutely. Women's game seems to be very heavily focused on sevens, which was a little disappointing for me. Yeah, like there's no plans to make the AIL a two-league system. There are no plans for professionalism at the top end of the game. It's just really disappointing. It's cementing what's being done. We've talked at numerous times on this pod and outside of it that when there's a toss-up to be made in the women's game between 15s and sevens, it's very much focused on look at sevens. I guess if you're a women's rugby player in Ireland, the one thing you do have now is clarity. If you want to get involved, if you want to get funded, if you want a chance at a professional contract, Sevens is how you do that. Also, they have a cherry that can dangle in front of GA players to bring them over. In a lot of ways, the strategic plan just formalises what we expected, but nice that it's there. And you know what? Not the only rugby union announcing news this week. Yeah, in England, the RFU have announced their own type of player welfare system type thing, kind of. Yeah, and it seems to be the first time that the Premier League clubs and the RFU have sat down and done some negotiating with a useful output for months. Yeah, the problem is with the clubs realistically control the players there, the RFU have so little leg to stand on. Yeah, they don't have much bargaining power. And unfortunately, again, looks like the Lions tour has come under renewed failure. Where is the future of the Lions? That It's got to be a worry. Well, I mean, I went down and did the Lions Tour last year. I know you're not necessarily the most, you know, effusive fan of it, but I think it's something really special. No. And it's a shame to see it getting targeted. I understand why it's important for the players and why they love it. I'm like, I've, as I've always said, as long as the Irish players get selected and come home safe, I don't care. <laughs> I guess moving to the Irish players, uh, lining up against Italy in Chicago this week, and we've actually seen the Italian team. That's mad. Like a week and a half in advance. It's I've never seen anything like this, but I guess great for the likes of Benetton and Zebra to know who's not available and why. And Joe Schmidt to know, like, I know how exactly how to beat you now 15 million <laughs> times over. Yeah. Um, one player I think everybody was kind of pleased to see in the lineup, Ian McKinley. It'll be a special moment, and, you know, he knows a lot of the players will be against on the day, so there will be some really, really nice moments there. Yeah, and I think this is a chance for Joe Schmidt to get a look at some of the fringe players within the team, some of the younger players, uh, the likes of Ross Byrne, McCloskey, Sweetenham. It should be good to see what they can make. And a couple of Connacht guys likely to make starts as well. Yeah, Bealham and Rue, you've got to say this is their opportunity. Like, Bealham has been one of the shining lights of the Connacht team this year. He does deserve this opportunity. And I guess look at the broader Ireland squad. Huge representation from all the provinces. No real surprises, I think. You can't with a 42-man squad. Yeah, like, there's, there's a lot of bodies there. <laughs> yeah, and anyone arguing about this player, this player, you're talking about third or fourth choice in their position you know you're talking about the extras people that want to make the world cup squad anyway and that's it and i think there's two real questions that need to get answered this november who is the first choice backup to connor murray and who is the first choice backup to rory best or you know who might steal his jersey other than that it's starting to look pretty settled i'd say everyone can write the first 30 names down and then after that the the last two are those two positions we're a year away but it's still exciting (laughs) and we will move on to the here and now and Southern Kings 
Scarlets on Friday night kicked off the Pro 14 action. And what a try fest. The Southern Kings lost this game 34 points to 41, which is an absurd scoreline. But the amount of teams that go and play Kings and decide to try and play a Kings game, that's just not how it works. You don't go down to the worst team's level. You've got to play above them. You've got to be better than them. Every week they drag teams down to that scratch rugby style and beat them with experience. But you know what? Scarlets nearly got Glasgow here. Nearly, but they kind of realise, hold on a second, we have a mall. We can do basic rucking. We can do line-outs and set-piece stuff. And yeah, that was it. And that's all they needed to do. They just kicked into that extra gear of old school rugby and beat Kings quite easily in the end. You know what though? It was a little bit brainless. You're expecting the senior players from the Scarlets team to stand up and try and manage this game if they'd sent any of them. Yeah, they really sent a scratch team there and it showed. Do you know what really does show though? Poor defending? Yeah, the (laughs) scoreline. Bloody hell, no one could defend a counter-attack. The second the ball got turned over, there was a score or so many yards made. The ability to reset the line is what made those defences so porous. It's not often you see both teams getting a try bonus point. No, and Kings get a losing bonus point as well. It's probably the best outcome the Kings had from a game like last season. Obviously, the Glasgow result stands alone. They won't necessarily be too disappointed with taking two points out of a game against last year's beaten finalists. No, they'll be disappointed about the fact they could have got three, except for that last minute try, but you know. For sure. And you know, in a game this scrappy, it's hard to take a lot from it, but there were a couple of strengths worth calling out. Like for the Kings, Klassen and Banda just make the Kings look dangerous and they seem to have a better rugby brain than a lot of the players on their team. Yeah, like they do make the team look less incompetent. But Banda himself, as an individual, he created two tries and scored a peach himself. Now, hang on. The try that he scored, the defending was clown car. Like, I don't know it. Yeah, but yeah, look, if you're not going to get tackled and you're going to run around seven players or so, then I'm reluctant to give too many compliments. This may be a a theme we come back to in later games. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know what, though? The Scarlets really, when they did tighten the game up, when they did exert their forward dominance, that's when they won it. The Kings possibly have the worst pack in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, and the Scarlets have shown they haven't been great up front, so they had to be better than one team in the league. Yeah, and chronic, chronic discipline. I was just trying to figure this out. Another yellow card. And I was like, have they ever not been yellow carded in a game? One game. This season? One game this season. They are averaging a yellow card per game. Actually more, because they've got three and two in some of them. That's just disgraceful. And you know what? We come to it every week. They faded bad in that last 20 minutes. Yeah, fitness. Don't know whether that's that or if it's concentration maybe, but not good enough as an end. Having said that, the Scarlets, the decision-making and the composure here, letting yourself get dragged into that bitty, scrappy type of a game. You expect better from these guys. You really do. I expect so much more from the Scarlets, especially as they're a team that expect to be in semi-finals and finals of two competitions. You have to just be beating teams like this. And you know what? They didn't look like that on this occasion. Another team who certainly played above themselves, Zebra against Edinburgh, and a 34 points to 16 win to the Italians. Zebra target this game. The strongest 15 they could have played were playing. But you know what? This game really was just proof that you don't have to do much to win a game if your opponent is feeling incredibly <laughs> generous. Zebra could write a PhD on opportunism. Four tries scored and they didn't earn a single one of them. Like, not one piece of team play, a mall, you know, the rugby things. None of that. No, no. In fact, the team playing all the rugby was Edinburgh, who had the better start. Their first try was superb. Lovely running lines, a really nice inside step, and then good support for the offload. Yeah, but you can't then score only three more points for the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, given that they had three quarters of the ball and 84% territory in the first half, 
to only go into the half time leading 10 points not good and Zebra corrected that in the second half they made that 50-50 split yeah but the funny thing is that's kind of where the stats stopped being any use the tries that Zebra got were a combination of poor ruck defence intercepts mad cross fields that they didn't defend it was almost all against the run of play. But Edinburgh also didn't convert any of their own chances. They went into complete self-destruct mode when things didn't go their way. That was a real case because there was two shining stars in this game for me, which was the 10s. Carlo Canna and Simon Hickey, our quality operators, played some really good ball and looked a level above some of the players around them. But Hickey had the advantage of the Edinburgh pack just making the difference in the first half. You know, they just got a bit stupid in the second they seemed to get confused that Zebra were in a game with them Bill Maddow was great and Luke Hamilton coming in for the injured Magnus Bradbury really good as well like very dynamic in the carry and hitting rucks hard but we've been saying that about the Edinburgh back row all season you know they just have players and players and players just to keep coming in and keep doing the job great to see them with a bit of depth there yeah um, Zebre though great mentality not only the fact that when they went 10 points down they never flinched they just kept pushing but to see them trying to chase down a bonus point in the last play of the game in injury time Zebra have this ability to, if they're in a game, they're in a game. It's just so rare that they are in a game against quality opposition that yeah. we don't necessarily see it all that often. Unlike Benetton, who've just become like the masters of grinding out results this year. <laughs> but on the other side of that, it's got to be a concern for Zebra. They just created so little. Yeah, they were reliant on Edinburgh turning them over easy scoring opportunities. They didn't seem to have a lot of line-breaking ability. I think in the whole 80 minutes, they only got across the Edinburgh line five times. Jesus, that's that's terrible. It's not great. But Edinburgh kind of similarly didn't have that clinical edge once they got into the 22. And after the third Zebra try, for all the world, the Edinburgh pack just looked like they wanted a mug of hot chocolate, a cuddle and a plane ticket home. On a different plane to Richard Cockerell. Oh God, yes. <laughs> that is not a man. Unless the mug of hot chocolate's going to be aimed at your forehead, he's not going to be handing it out. No. I guess another team that we don't expect a lot from, the Dragons, who had to travel to the Kingspan and... Got the result we were probably all expecting. Yeah, Ulster won 36-18, but they did everything in their power to make Dragons look like a competent team. Taking three points within the first couple of minutes. the Dragons. Why are you doing this? Just put it in the corner and beat them up. Do not understand. Yeah, but Ulster looked so weak in contact. Like, this was a really weird game. Yeah, it was, because you expect Ulster to have enough physicality in the pack to dominate pretty much most teams in the league at the moment, but especially the Dragons. And yet they were left relying on moments from their outside backs. Like Addison and Mike Lowry. Mike Lowry. Stop watching. Mike Lowry. Stop, stop, stop. Stop watching bad boys. Just got to stop, stop watching on repeat. <laughs> Mike Lowry. <laughs> but their tries and they were just setting up and creating so much. It was incredible. Yeah. And to be honest, a better team would have punished either of these sides. Like if the Dragons were competent, then Ulster may not have got the win here. And if Ulster were on form, the Dragons would have been eviscerated. But for Ulster, Henry Spade got man the match. Yeah, uh, there's something very wrong with either us or the air sports commentary team. Because we were watching that game and... How? Yeah, he, he seemed to butcher a load of opportunities. Man of the match? No. Great. I mean, he was comfortably outplayed by an academy player in Lowry. And Lowry's going to be a player that we're going to see a lot of in the future. You know what, though? It, it kind of speaks to Ulster's strengths. Their backline is looking more and more dangerous with each game. They're playing a couple of different combinations. There's players coming in and out, but they're starting to show a bit of consistency. Yeah, they just need a pack that can actually do something for them. Yeah, and I mean, the Dragons, what little opportunity they had, they seem to take well, But I guess. That's pretty much... It. They look poorly coached. There's no real cohesion in that team. Yeah, and similar to Zebra, you would argue that their scores came from their opponents' mistakes rather than anything that they're creating themselves. 
And then when you look at Ulster, that's not surprising. No line-out, no scrum. The basics of rugby, where's the platform they're going to go forward off? I mean, we talked in the first game about how the Scarlets were able to tighten up their game and just win by doing the basics right. You'd have to argue Ulster aren't capable of doing that right now. I know you said we have to wait until Rory Best turns up in a green shirt before I start panicking, but it looks like that whole system is failing in Ulster, let alone just Best. Yeah, it is a concern, but what is more concerning for me is... Oh, I was wondering when we'd get to this one. Rounding out the Friday night fixtures, the visit of Connacht to the Ospreys. That, this game didn't happen. We're just going to, like, it was called off, I think. Um... Well, I mean, if you were in the Liberty Stadium, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Ospreys took this one on the road to Bridge End and still won by 22 points to 17. Such, such a bad performance by Connacht. Like, it was ridiculous. That was our strongest 15 available. But it was a full Ospreys team as well, right? Yeah, you know, if you take away all their internationals apart from Dan Lydiot. And Sam Davies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who just loves playing against Connacht. He really does. Like, like, he just ups his game. It's it, incredible. You can tell that it's uh, it's international season and he's trying to get ahead of the other 12, 10 Wales staff. <laughs> um, do you know what, though? Uh, it's rare that you see all of Connacht's back three players misfiring quite so spectacularly. I think individually across the board, Connacht weren't good enough. Tiernan O'Halloran and Kelleher were responsible for a try each. Yeah, and Adi Loken was out of position more often than not. But that just speaks of how good the Ospreys' kicking game was. They just picked the right places, kept those pinned back, but still not good enough. No, I mean, they did keep you on the back foot, and it helps when there's enough green space to kick at. Like, Davies executed everything superbly. Like, as you said, he often seems to lift his game when he's playing Connacht for whatever reason. But then you look at his opposite number, and... Carty played about as badly as I've seen him play this year. It was a really bad performance for him. Like, he was just trying to do too much all the time. Surely at this point, he's running on fumes. Like, barring one game of rest, he's played almost every minute for you this year. And that has to affect his decision-making. It has to affect how he plays. But it's still not good enough. This Connacht team should have had enough to beat Ospreys. Well, put it this way. This Connacht squad should have enough to be competitive. And I know 22 points to 17 is only a five-point gap. But you never looked like winning that. No. No, we really didn't. Apart from the last 20 minutes when we actually started to put some shape together. but Oh, you mean that bit after where you conceded a try while a man up? Yeah, after that bit. <laughs> after that. You're the only team in the league I know who gets worse when you have a man advantage. I know. It's, it's just disgraceful. And I don't know what's causing that. Is it systems, personnel? But the mindset didn't seem right going into that game. And that 10-minute period just really, really highlighted it. Yeah. And I guess speaking to mindset, you look at the Ospreys. And despite getting dragged into a bit of a dogfight at times, they found a way to win this. Which was missing last year. Hugely. And like when we talk about the table at the end of the wrap-up for this round, you'll see the effect of that. Yeah. Whereas Connacht, you know, yes, there's so much to complain about that game. Our scrum held up and Bealham just shows he's a class above when people aren't playing well. I tell you what's weird though for me. Your team tends to have a much worse game when Bundy has an off day. And this was an off day. And given that you were poor at 10 and poor at 12, you just weren't able to create anything. On top of that, Tom Farrell was anonymous for 80 minutes, and that's very rare for him. The decision-making just wasn't there. The full performance was a symptom of thinking we are just going to beat that Ospreys team. Like, 20 missed tackles is awful. That's, that's poor by any standard, but particularly against a team shorn of the likes of George North um, from that back line. But having said that, you'd like to think that the Ospreys should have bonus pointed you. They should have, but a better team, or even a team playing better, would have beaten Ospreys. They didn't have much going forward. No, they had enough though. Move on. 
Okay, to another team who had a pretty terrible weekend. Benetton against Leinster and one of the more unwatchable encounters of this weekend. Oh, it really was. Like, Benetton lost three points to 31 in torrential rain. It was so miserable looking. Like, you could see the ball was squirting all over the place. No one could put together more than about four or five phases. But Benetton with a very, very second string team put it up to Leinster in a weird way. Yeah, this this is one of these results where the scoreline feels a little harsh on Benetton because they did a lot of stuff right. Like, their one-up tackling was immense. But you can't soak up pressure like that for 80 minutes and not concede tries to an outfit with the kind of quality that Leinster have. Yeah, but Byrne and Tamani on the wings, you know. Byrne had his best game in blue in a long time, but against what? I mean, I kind of saw the team sheet for this and I was like, interesting, two revolving doors in the back line. But at least you kind of had Rob Carney there to marshal them. Like, whatever criticisms you'll have of big game Rob, he's well able to make sure the players are where they're supposed to be. Yeah, and Byrne didn't let himself down really across the 80. No, he he looked like he was offering an awful lot more in attack than, you know, his expensive counterpart on the left wing, that's for sure. He dropped two crossfield kicks. <sighs> Do you know what, though? When you have a game where you have a referee, like Ben Whitehouse, who is, shall we say, somewhat prone to favouritism to the big-name teams. Leinster got ref like champions. They got the 50-50 calls. They got... They got the 60-40 calls. Yeah, they just got the rub of the green. I tell you what, for the first try, for me, it looked like Jameson Gibson Park bound on ahead of the ball. So that's truck and trailer. But no, no problem. Try awarded. But look, those small decisions didn't win them the game. No, but it might have been a very different game if Leinster, who had far more penalties conceded, had seen a player hit the bin. Which I was like, we were talking during this match and like, yellow, where's the yellow? Like we were looking for the yellow because that was like 5-6 in the 22. You know, the first team to get threatened with the yellow was Benetton as well. Which was scary, like that was unreal. But Benetton took the three points there. They get a try or a Leinster player goes to the bin. That's a different complexion to the game. It is, and the thing is, the game then just started to edge away from them. Gibson Park ran it really well from nine, and he just kept that pace just a hair's breadth away from Benetton being able to catch up. They didn't blow them away, but they were just a little bit ahead of them at all times. Just enough, and the second half was the same, just dreary, dreary stuff. Benetton made their tackles, but Leinster just had too much. Yeah, and I mean, Benetton, like I don't think they even created opportunities let alone converted them. There just wasn't a lot of creativity coming from that back line. And you tend to see that with this Benetton side when they're missing Tommaso Allen. He's such an important piece of the puzzle for them. But they were lucky in a sense that Leinster, once again, started glacially. I kind of expected them to come out of the gates here, given the outcome of a slow start last week against Toulouse. It's almost like this is a game plan, where they are just going to keep their cards close to their chest for 40 minutes and blow you away in the second half. But Leinster were lucky, like, Benetton were not a better team. To be fair, you have to be a very good team having a good day to put away a top Leinster team, and even this second-string Leinster team had more than enough for Benetton. Despite them making their tackles, like, 90-plus percent tackle completion and still losing 31 points to three, that tells its own story. But that's all from the 73% possession Leinster had and the 77% territory. And what they did with it was... Was outrageous like in particular the second rows for Leinster James Ryan and Scott Fardy and Ross Maloney when he came on were right on the edge of legality and they were 
flying into Benetton players. Nothing illegal, but just right on that nasty edge. And top second rows do that. Top players do that. And speaking of top players, and probably the match of the weekend, in my somewhat biased no, opinion. No, it really was. Like, the Munster-Glasgow <laughs> match was incredible for the, for me as a neutral. Like, And what a result. Like, 25 points to 24 with the last kick of the game. You mean daylight robbery? Oh, absolutely. Like, don't get me wrong. This was a niggly affair from start to finish. There was handbags at dawn, then again at five after dawn, <laughs> then, then at noon, then at dusk. <laughs> like A pure monster in Limerick type of game. Yeah, in a lot of ways. But do you know what? We started so well in this game. Some of the running lines from our backs were just outrageous. Like Sweetenham was on fire. Mike Haley looked really good. And that move from JJ and Keith Earls in the lead up to the first try was just a thing of beauty. It's a carbon copy of what Conway did last week. Coming around, staying right in behind the 10 until now I run. And then off the back of that, some really good, physical, patient carrying from the forwards. And James Cronin goes over for a try. This is the ideal start. And then Glasgow, just Glasgow, G. <sighs> yeah, two tries out of absolutely nowhere and they're 12 points to seven up at halftime. And then in the second half, more the same. It was a bit weird because you were trying to figure out what exactly it was that was going wrong. But Glasgow are just that type of a creative side that they can pull tries out of absolutely nowhere. But the minute we got yellow carded, you knew there was going to be a try off the back of that. Fagerson goes over. And then it's like we just lost our heads for another five or ten minutes and just hadn't managed to get composed. It looked over in the last quarter when Glasgow got that bonus point try. But out of nowhere, I was there watching it at 60, kind of the 65, 70 minute mark. You just either copped on, found an extra gear or something, but you started running more direct, keeping the ball. Stop and, messing around. And found your way back into the game. Obviously, Jerry Flannery was on at half time with the tins of spinach. <laughs> but you know what? You can't talk about this game without mentioning the finish. Two minutes into injury time, two points behind. And Keatley and Billy Holland are trying to figure out what to do now. Do we go down the line? Up steps Rory Scannell. What a man. What a kick. He'll be a hero in Munster for a long time to come after that kick. Yeah, talk uh, about someone who's not going to bring their wallet out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> and with that injury to Sammy Arnold, does this put him on the plane to America? Well, he better keep his phone charged anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, like there's a few centres there that could get that phone call. But, you know, after that... He's put himself to the top of the list. Absolutely. And you know what? I guess that never say die attitude that you mentioned from Munster, that's just something that I'm so pleased that we're seeing in the Pro 14. Because that was the kind of gritty determination we see in like Heineken Cup Munster. And bringing it into the Pro 14 for a game against Glasgow was important. This was a bit of a seasonal win, you know, coming up to Halloween. And just like the killer in a slasher movie, Munster refused to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in all fairness, you had most of your basics right. Your line-out is incredible. You just O'Mahony'd them. Like, uh, he, he's just got to be a term. He's a freak. Like, you you can't deny a team 40% of their own line-out ball while mostly holding your own in the scrum sometimes. No. No, okay. It was a bit inconsistent, I think, is probably fair to say. But Glasgow do look so dangerous. In broken field, they're one of the best I've seen. And their back lines, the lines that they run, the ability to offload and just identify space and take advantage of it. Like, they're so good at it. But even at the gritty stuff, like, they bet you at the breakdown. Like, overall, they won the breakdown battle. Which, again, talking internationals, it's weird to see CJ Stander and O'Mahony not dominating a breakdown consistently throughout a game. One issue, though... Glasgow didn't really take advantage of conditions. Like, with a good win behind them in the first half, 
didn't kick the territory, didn't put us into our own half. And that's what they have to do. And you talk about kicking. They left seven points behind. That game is out of sight into those last couple of minutes. And they, they weren't mad tough kicks either. No, they weren't the hardest in the world. I'm sure a lot of their fans will talk about decisions and things going against them. Look at your own team first. Yeah, and you know, when you've got a 14-point lead with 15 minutes left on the clock. It's not good enough. It's just not good enough. Glasgow are looking to be finest winners of the Pro 14 this year. You can't be idiotic enough to blow a lead like that. No. Um. Still, Munster were far from perfect in this game. And a theme we've seen on and off for Munster this year, the scrum is just so inconsistent. Like, at one stage, we win a penalty when we're seven forwards against eight. But then we're getting blown off the park by that Glasgow scrum half the rest of the time. It's, it's weird. Makes no sense. And, you know, add it to your poor discipline. An embarrassingly bad one again. Another yellow A completely unnecessary yellow card. And just racking up penalties when we couldn't afford it. No. So we're talking scrum, discipline, and the frailties in defence on transition. Yeah, Munster need to get a little bit cleverer an awful lot faster. And moving on to the last game of the weekend, where the Cheetahs beat Cardiff 21-10 at home. Far from the game of the weekend, but I don't think anybody in Bloemfontein will be complaining. No, a win is a win is a win is a win is a win, as they say. And the thing is, right, Cardiff went down there without seemingly any plan. They just didn't know how to break the Cheetahs down. And they needed to win this match. This was an inter-conference game. This is a huge thing for them. And you have to rack up points against the Cheetahs because they're going to score tries against you. You look at the Cheetahs so far this year and only Munster in the first round away from home have been able to prevent them from scoring tries. Like, this is a team that will get points. And the thing is, they don't have to be perfect. They are an opportunistic team, and their tries showed that. The first try for the scrum half of enter off the base of the ruck, just no pillar defenders. Just nobody marking the ruck. So he dawdles through from, what, like 30 metres out? Insane. And then Max Wane from another scrappy bit of play, a couple of knock-ons, kicks the ball ahead, chases it down, try. You've got to love, though, in that period of play where he's there waving down the support runner yard that, no, no, you're ahead of me. Like, that awareness on the pitch is incredible. Well, you look at where Ulster might have been against Connacht. The two kick-ahead tries <laughs> that they got disallowed. <laughs> like, knowing where the players on your team are on the pitch, he'd obviously just copped Yar in his peripheral vision and just to be sure said, no, no, hang on, hang on, I've got this. Like, really smart play. And Max Wane is somebody who is just a, caught above some of the guys in that outfit but Cardiff seemed to be totally in control once they weren't at risk of scoring like the minute they got anywhere within the 22 were within a couple of passes of a try they just fell apart but a running theme for them their composure this season is poor like it's not good enough no I mean there was no better example of that than when they butchered a try on 26 minutes really good break down the left hand side all that they had to do was a one out pass from the scrum half and you had two players waiting to run in a try what does he do? tries to go himself, gets turned over. It's just not good enough. Funny thing, the Cheetahs had this game won early and they could have pushed on, but they just didn't look as dangerous once their scrum half was substituted. He really keeps them ticking over. Ventnor, he's just a very good player, smart. The ball moves quickly. And if the ball's moving quickly for the Cheetahs... That's it. That's it, good night. Good kick variation from him and from the 10 and 12 as well. But when he went off, Cardiff, aside from a blockdown try, which was good, they just didn't have anything for them. And you got to think, Cheetahs were kind of robbed in the last couple of moments. Like, seriously, a kick through that clearly came off a Blues player goes across the deadline. That's a five-meter scrum. Referee, oh, I didn't see that. So all of a sudden, it's a scrum to carry the fact it was kicked. Like, it's not that they would have scored a try, but, you know, Cheetahs scrum five meters out, nothing to play for for Cardiff. 
You wouldn't bet against them. No, it's a four. You know, you're talking about going from four nil to five nil match points, which could be important given that these two were sides who were fighting it out for the third place at the end of last year. Let's talk strengths, I guess. And Cardiff, what they were bringing was some impressive line speed. It led to the blockdown try, and it kept Cheetahs pinned back for a lot of the game. But they had so much variation in attack that good defensive line speed will only get you so far. Especially when you've got a 9, 10 and 12 who can kick over that line. and With accuracy. Yeah, and let's call a spade a spade. Cardiff were completely incompetent under the high ball. They were just headless chickens. They didn't seem to be able to put a name on it. They were knocking it on. They weren't able to set a rook when they eventually did catch it. It was embarrassing. And speaking of embarrassing, losing 30% of your own line-out ball. Not good enough for a top team. Like You'd argue that the Northern Hemisphere sides are supposed to be able to beat the South African sides when you stick to set piece and tight forward play. Not if you don't win your own line-out. But the Cheetah's scrum was a bit of a lottery. You know, they, they're having the same issue themselves up front. Yeah, and again... We talked about this more with the Southern Kings. The Cheetahs are normally a little bit better, but 14 penalties. Like, that's not good enough from a discipline perspective. Not for a team that wants to grow and wants to improve. No, you're going to give away way too much either points or territory. But they let the pressure off Cardiff so many times by giving away penalties. Anyway, they'll be happy with that win, but they needed it. It's their first win of the season. Like, they're rooted to the bottom of the table. Yeah, and I guess just talking about the league tables for a second. In Conference A, the real surprise for me, Ospreys. Second place. Five wins out of seven. Who would have thought that at the end of last year? And if it wasn't for bonus points, they'd be right up alongside Glasgow, who are just... Storming through. Mm. Munster obviously move up into third place. And, you know, the big surprise story is still the Cheetahs. One win out of seven games. Nine points at the bottom of the conference. But, like, Zebra now are in a hunt with Cardiff and Connacht for that fourth place. Great to see. Yeah. Not for you. No, I was going to say. In conference B, though, like... Benetton after last season would be really disappointed with where they are. Yeah, third from the bottom and scrapping it out with Edinburgh to get back amongst the front runners. Which are the normal names we expect. Leinster, Scarlets, Ulster. All teams who you expect to be there or thereabouts at the end of the year. And teams we expect to be where they are. Dragons Kings rooted to the bottom. But look at it this way. Dragons, Kings and Cheetahs all on the same match points. And as much as the Pro 14 has improved this season, having teams underperforming as much as Cheetahs Dragons and Kings just isn't good enough. It's not great. But you know what is great? Our second row top performer, and equally great in their own special way, our clown of the round. (laughs) And you have picked our top performer. I have, and for me, there was only one name on this, which was George Horn for the Glasgow Warriors. Like, if not for the heroic effort from Rory Scannell, you'd have to assume that George Horn was walking away from Thoman Park with man of the match. Yeah, his passing was incredible. And his two first half tries were so well taken. Plus, the kick ahead for Peter Horn for the bonus point try was just quick decision making and really nice execution. He had a really, really good game. And like you said, if he wasn't on the losing side, he'd be getting man of the match. So he deserves our award at least. Absolutely. <laughs> like, he's a classy player. And in a, in a result that Glasgow came very close and depending on your uh, your coloured jersey, deserved to win, then let's at least make sure George Horn leaves with a bit of pride. Uh, what about you, Pork? Clown of the round? For me, the clown of the round is Dougie Fife. Because it's for one moment, and one <laughs> moment only. Never, ever, 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 let the ball bounce in your own 22. Yeah, this wasn't, uh, this won't be one for his scrapbook. It literally led to a zebra try. The bounce of the ball was horrendous, but still, if you're not jogging and actually make effort to get underneath that ball, you call a mark. You clear your lines. But no, the ball bounces and zebra just waltz in. 
And you know what? Edinburgh never got back into the lead after that. I think they were shell-shocked. And fair enough, you're mostly a winger covering fullback. But Rugby 101 is odd-shaped ball, do not let bounce. No, he's well-deserving of the count around this this week. So, top performer, George Horn, and the second row clown of the round, Mr. Dougie Fife. And we'll look to next week, which is chock-a-block. It's jammed, like so many games on a Sunday to make room for the internationals. But we'll start on Friday night with Edinburgh hosting Scarlets. That should be a really good game. Scarlets with a lot of travel done in the last two weeks to get down and back to South Africa. Against an Edinburgh team that will be... Unhappy? I was going to say that would have had Cockrell beating him around the heads for the last couple of days. Yeah, keep an eye on the Edinburgh injury list and see if anybody <laughs> new pops up. Um, the other game, and this should be a great fixture on Friday night, is Ospreys against Glasgow. Yeah, both teams will be definitely missing their internationals but will be a cracker of a game. I think the big difference is Glasgow's second string team at least plays in the same way as Glasgow's first string team, whereas Osprey's second string team... Eh. Yeah, and once again... Eh. And like we always say, these interconference matches are so important. Absolutely. Uh, Saturday, two fixtures. Benetton play host to Ulster, which you'd like to think is a game that both of those teams will be going out to try and get points from. Definitely. And Connacht play host to the Dragons in Galway. We can't play any worse. Like, we can't. Like, well, I we... mean, if you do, then imagine imagine if you lose to the Dragons. No. No, 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 no. I'll, ha- I'll have to get the special violin in. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> on Sunday, uh, Leinster head down to South Africa and they play the Southern Kings. Imagine this. You're a Leinster player. You have two weeks off coming up and you get to start it in South Africa. Yeah, but imagine this. You're a Southern Kings player and you've just been beaten by the Scarlets, the runners-up from last year, and who turns up at your door the next week? Yeah, and they're not going to play as bad as Scarlets did either. No. Um, The next game on Sunday then is Cardiff playing host to Zebre. That could be competitive as well. Both teams with ambitions within that conference based on where they are at the moment. Yeah, it should be good. It depends what type of lineup Zebra have. Yeah, and we'll speak to the internationals, but probably missing a few key players. Definitely. And also on Sunday... Munster travel down to Cheetahs. It's great, like most of your team are back home. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> Look, it should be a nice chance for some of Munster's fringe players to get a run out because I would imagine that even if you're not travelling to the States for the Italy game, you're in camp or you're being given a well-deserved rest after a pretty tough start to the season. And as long as you can keep it tight and keep the discipline in check, you know, you have a good chance down there. You'd like to think so. Um, moving to the internationals that are starting next weekend and one of the marquee fixtures of November... A game that is played every year. North versus Southern Hemisphere. Wales versus Scotland. It's kind of North v South. North of the UK. Great Britain. <laughs> yeah, this is a weird one. It's, I think a part of this is a part of the Doddy Weir tribute as well. So I, I can understand why it's being played in November, not taken away from the Six Nations. So. Okay. You know what, though? Speaking about that, it's pretty disgraceful that none of the gate receipts from this game are actually going to the Doddy Weir Foundation. News broke this week, and it's, oh, it's an opportunity to get some publicity. Like, put your hands in your pockets, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, I know this extra game in November is meant to make a bit of money for the unions, but you can put something aside, at least. Yeah, particularly when you're attaching a player with the kind of history, legacy, and, like, the story that is around Doddy Weir. Like, write a check, goddammit. Exactly. And in another Six Nations derby, Ireland take on Italy in Chicago. Yeah, which I think is somewhere between trying to play off the All Blacks game, which was great, and partly off the fact that there's such a big Irish-American and Italian-American community. 
Like it could be a good game. It's all about the money, money, money. Yeah, this this is very much about filling the coffers for the rest of the year. And you know, with both diasporas over there, you can understand why it's been playing Chicago. Should be well attended. Should be a good buzz. Won't be much of a game. Not not all that important in the grand scheme of things. No. Speaking of important games, though, somebody has been running their mouth a lot about this one. Mr. E. Jones and his England team welcomed South Africa. Please, please, South Africa. Please win. <laughs> please win. Well, you know, as a, as a Munster fan, I like to see some of our former coaches do well. This should be an absolute collision fest. Yeah, because England don't play any other type of game. There's a bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like to see some of the new South African players. Um, Cheslin Kobe, who had such a good rugby championship, and Willie LaRue might get out and play against players that he knows so well from playing in the Premiership. Could yeah. be a good game. It could be a good game. And what is a chock-a-block weekend of rugby? Absolutely. That one kicks off at 3pm on Saturday. So right up against the Benetton Ulster game. Tough call. Yeah. Well, that's us. Thanks everyone for listening. And we will be back next week to recap round eight of the Pro 14 and have a look at the internationals. That's right. We love hearing from you. So get in touch on facebook.com slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. And that's 2 nd not the word second. Let us know what you think of the games and let us know if you found a top performer or a clown of the round. So until next time, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care.